0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church, and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today continue our series that we've entitled Bless This House. And we've been looking at the teaching that Jesus did in the book of Matthew chapter 5, which is commonly known as the Beatitudes because Jesus addresses eight characteristics or eight attitudes that He would desire that we would be in order to receive and be part of a blessed life. Who wants to be blessed? Come on, you know where I'm going with this. Put your hand up if you want to be blessed. If your hand is not up, that means you want to be cursed. And I'm sure there's no one here who wants to be cursed. Now, we all want to be blessed. And Jesus said, blessed are those who adopt a certain posture or adopt a certain attitude. And the word blessed means to be well off and to be fortunate and to be envied. In other words, Jesus wants us to have a lifestyle that others would look at and say, I'll have what she's having. Or I'll have what he's having. I want their kind of life. Unfortunately, when it comes to Christianity, there's a lot of Christians that don't model this life. And I believe that's because there's a big difference between Christian families and having Christ at the centre of your family. You might say, what's the difference? Surely there should not be a difference between Christian families and Christ at the centre of your family. And to that, I would say there should not be a difference. You're absolutely right. There should not be a difference. But what I've noticed is in reality, there is a big difference. It seems everyone is a Christian family. Everyone goes by the name Christian. But to have Christ at the centre of your home and to involve Him in your decisions and your thoughts and your conversations is a whole nother level than just having or being a Christian family family. Are you with me this morning? So at the heart of this series, it's about building Christ-centered homes and not just being Christian families. And uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, there are eight characteristics and we've highlighted four of them. We've looked at three, uh, two already. The first one in week one was blessed are the hungry and thirsty. And that was uh, addressing the attitude that we adopt toward God. Week number two, which was just last week, we looked at blessed are the pure in heart, and that was our attitude toward truth. And next week, the final week of this series, we're going to be looking at blessed are the persecuted, which is our attitude toward suffering. Being a Christian does not mean that you're going to be exempt from suffering. And so we want to adopt the right attitude when it comes To suffering. And we're going to be looking at that next week. But for today, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read two verses, verse 1 and verse 9. And you can either look on your Bibles or your iPads or iPods or whatever the case may be. Or you can follow on the screen with me as we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. Today, we're gonna be addressing blessed are the peacemakers. And I do need to make sure that we absolutely are clear on what I'm saying this morning. And so there's no confusion because I would hate the people in the back to mishear what I'm actually saying. I said peacemakers, not (laughs) cheesemakers. If you don't know where I'm going with that, you should really adopt the like and desire to watch Monty Python, (laughs) particularly the life of Brian. You know the scene where Jesus is doing this teaching that's found in Matthew chapter 5 and the crowd is so large that those on the back or those on the edge or the periphery of the crowd couldn't quite hear what He was saying and they were discussing amongst themselves as to what Jesus was actually talking about. And someone said, I think He said, blessed are the, cheese, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. And someone said, no, no, no. I think He said cheesemakers. And then someone else chirps in and says, actually, I think He's talking about all dairy products. And so the whole thing got out of context And I thought, man, that's a great picture of what we do today. It's kind of like Chinese whispers. So I need everyone to know that you can hear me this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers. Say, peacemakers. Peacemakers. Fantastic. Didn't sound like there were any cheesemakers out there. So that's a win. Getting us on the same page is really cool. Peacemakers is addressing the attitude that we have towards conflict. Everyone say, conflict. conflict. Conflict is inevitable. Particularly when it comes to the home front. And that's what this series is all about. It's about applying the Beatitudes to our home. You see, I want to talk today about having peace in our homes. When Jesus addressed the crowds that day, some 2,000 years ago, He was talking about something much larger than I'm going to touch on today. And He was talking in a lot broader than I want to talk today. We are talking specifically about these Beatitudes being applied to our homes in order to build Christ-centred homes. You see, many homes today are not characterised by peace. In actual fact, anything but peace. I think conflict and tension and strife would describe most homes today. And I would add to that Christian homes as well. Would that be fair to say? And you might agree with me today and say, yeah, I do agree that there is tension in my home and there is strife in my home and there is conflict in my home. But you need to know something, it's not my fault. It's that crazy brother that I have. or It's that crazy father that I have. And let's be honest. I think there's a measure of truth to that. Because every family has a crazy someone. They have every family. Come on, let's be honest. In every family, there's the crazy uncle. There's the crazy auntie. There's the crazy grandparent. There's a crazy son. There's a crazy brother. There's a crazy mother. There's a crazy father. In the family, there is someone who is crazy. Put your hand up if you have someone in your family that's a little bit crazy. If your hand is not up, guess what? (laughs) Now you know. If your hand is not up, you may just be that crazy person in your family. You know, all jokes aside, the reality is relationships, as beautiful as they are, aren't always easy. And at times they can be very difficult. And as a result, we get into cycles that are very dysfunctional. Uh, People often feel that they have the right to be angry. People often feel that they have the right to be offended. People feel that they have the right to be hurt. What you need to understand about your rights is... To put yourself first. When you lay your rights down, it's to put yourself first. But when you put yourself first, it's to put peace last. Whenever you put yourself first, it's to put peace last. And that's why Jesus was addressing this particular subject today. You see, the word peace implied more than just tranquility, or the absence of harm, or the absence of war. When Jesus spoke about peace, He was talking about something bigger than those things alone. When Jesus spoke about peace, He was saying, I wish you the highest good, not just the absence of harm. And so yes, the the presence of peace is tranquility. And yes, it's the absence of certain things, but it's also the presence of something far greater than many of us are presently experiencing. God wants us to have an abundant life, a life with a capital L, life to the full. And so when Jesus talks about peace, He's saying, I wish you a life of the highest good, not just tranquility, not just quietness, but also the best life Possible and the best life imaginable. Which was interesting because that went against the culture of that time. When Jesus spoke this, he spoke in a culture that believed an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if that person hurt someone in my family, I have the right to hurt them. That was the culture. And Jesus was speaking a counterculture in order to capture their imagination. In actual fact, all eight characteristics of the Beatitudes were a counterculture to the culture of that day. This is New Testament Christianity. And Jesus said this Blessed are the peacemakers, note the word peacemakers, not peacekeepers. I want you to get this, church. Jesus never said, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. What's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? A peacekeeper often avoids conflict in order to keep the peace. In other words, peacekeepers walk around or work around the issue and not through the issue. They say, let's make a truce uh, and let's not address it. And that's why when you go around some families for dinner, it's often characterised by awkwardness and tension because there are certain things you are not allowed to bring up. And that's why as much as we as a church love Christmas, I know Christmas season is very tense for a lot of people because you have the dreaded family dinners. And what makes it so tense is you go to these, uh, these dinners knowing and trying to remember what is it that we can't say? What is it we can't talk about? Who is it we can't talk about? What did we do that we can't mention? And we go year after year, decade after decade, never addressing the issues in our lives and it makes for strife, tension and conflict. And often what happens is after sitting on something for a long time, something may happen and it sets them off. And so you may go family dinner, after family dinner, after family dinner, year after year after year, and then all of a sudden someone says something or does something and then it's like a volcano. And yet where did that come from? I'll tell you, in the beginning, That's where it came from. It came from something that was small and undealt with. But because it was undealt with when it was small, guess what? It got bigger and it got bigger and it got bigger and it got bigger and it got bigger. And And then pretty soon there's nothing that that person can do that is right. These things come from dozens of unresolved issues along the way. Jesus did not say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers embrace conflict in order to make peace. Peacekeepers avoid conflict. Peacemakers embrace conflict. They work on and through the issue and never around the issue. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18, it says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, get this as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And verse 21 says, do not overcome uh, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This morning I want to talk practically about some things that we can do in order to make peace. And not just try and keep the peace. Remember, to keep the peace is to avoid conflict. And when you try and avoid conflict, it never goes away. It never gets addressed. It only grows and gets worse. It's kind of like an egg sandwich. If you have an egg sandwich and it falls on the floor, and instead of picking up and dealing with it, you push it under the carpet, guess what? It doesn't go away and it doesn't get better. It only gets worse. What we want to do is address conflict. We want to address the issues that come our way. So what are some things that peacemakers do? Firstly, they speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. What are we to do? We are to tell the truth in non-conflict times. Just practically, I'm going to be very practical. I believe that all the preaching that comes to this pulpit should be biblical, practical and inspirational. In other words, we should inspire people to put the Word of God into practice. It's not enough that we just have the original Greek. It's not enough that we know the original Hebrew. It's not enough that we know a few great scriptures. We need to know how to apply it to our life. And so I want to be very practical this morning because this is a big issue. If we can get this right, we can change our world. We can change our families. We can turn our families right side up. I really do have faith for that this morning. But in order for that to take place, we need to tell the truth in non-conflict times. Notice I said tell the truth, not yell the truth. It tends to be a yell when we address something when there's already conflict. Have you noticed when there's conflict, that's when we start to bring everything up. And that's not the time to bring everything up. You don't yell the truth, you tell the truth. And if you're finding that there's something taking place in your marriage, there's something taking place with your kids, it's not a time to bring something else up. And so it could be that the kids are getting ready for school and say, come on, kids, let's go. We need to go now. Come on, let's go. Mum and Dad got to get to work. Let's go. That's the issue. And now all of a sudden, because they're feeling pressured, They start bringing, oh, it's not my fault. You never wash my clothes on time. What? Well, this is not the time to talk about washing. This is not time to talk about food you like or don't like. Let's not address truth when there's already conflict in the room. In other words, timing is everything. Timing is everything. You know the moments when someone's addressing something in your life and then you want to bring something up that you should have brought up at another time. I'm grateful for my wife because there'll be times when you know I might be just having one of those moments and instead of addressing my moment, she'll sit on it. She'll wait a few days and the cool calm of the couple of days later, she'll say, hey, can we just talk about what happened two days ago? And it's much easier, and i got to be honest, as a husband, it's never easy to have your wife tell you about something in your life that you don't like. That's never easy. But it's much easier to hear that when there's no tension in the room and we're both calm. And I know that she loves me enough to bring it up. In actual fact, for her to bring it up, say says she loves me. For her not to bring it up, say she's either scared of me or she doesn't care. But to actually bring it up in the cool light of day, this is what the Bible calls speaking the truth in love. We're telling the truth, we're not yelling the truth. What I'd also say is attack the issue, never the person. Attack the issue, never the person. In other words, we address the do, not the who. You know, we 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 blur the edges very quickly. Oh you're an idiot. No, no, no. You're not an idiot. You're stupid! That stuff is never going to help. And it's never going to resolve conflict. Because that's to attack the person. And again, I thank God that I have a wife who can say, Honey, I love you. I'm so grateful that I'm married to you. However, when you did this, or when you do that, I find that hurts me. I find when you do that at this time, that timing is really unhelpful. And again, as a man who doesn't like to be told that he's wrong, no man does. But I'd much rather receive that when she's talking about what I've done as opposed to who I am. I I honestly believe we can turn families around if we would just begin to put these simple little truths into practice. What does speaking the truth in love look like? It means tell the truth in non-conflict times. It means not to attack the person, but attack the issue. I would also say this, use what you know about someone to your advantage, not disadvantage. Have you noticed when you live with someone for a while, you get to know their patterns and you find yourself saying, you always do that. Who's ever said that? Come on, I have. Well, if you know that they always do that, Or maybe it's this one. You never do that. Well, if you know that they never do that or they always do that, guess what? That's knowledge and knowledge is power if applied correctly. And if we would use what we know about a person to our advantage instead of disadvantage, then things would go a lot better. I I, I learned this as a young man just watching my dad and mum interact. My mum is not here to defend herself because she... Passed away a number of years ago now. But as a young man growing up, I used to watch my dad get up very early in the morning and he would see us off to school. And he would cook us egg, bacon, and beans every morning. And my mum would never get out of bed to see us off. He said, Wow, that, 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 that doesn't seem right. But my dad taught me something. He says, You know what I love about your mum? many things and he talked about things he loves about my mum he says but you know what I know about your mum she's not a morning person and he'd say you know what we could get her out of bed and she could cook for you and she could do what I'm doing for you but you know what it'd be horrible (laughs) we need to thank God that she's a bed asleep right now (laughs) because that's a win for me it's a win for you and it's a win for her But do you know how many parents or how many husbands would be arguing, you should be out of bed, you should be cooking for the kids, you shouldn't leave it to me. And Dad had enough wisdom to know certain things about my mum, that she was good at, that she wasn't good at. He would know about the times that she was at her best and times that she was at her worst. She was not a morning person, but she was a late night person. And so I could have interaction with her at different times in the day. I'm grateful for my dad that he got up and did what he did for us. But I'm also grateful for my mum, and I'm grateful that they were able to know what worked for them and what worked against them and make decisions accordingly. So don't use what you know against your partners, against your children, against your parents. Use what you know about them for the situation, not against the situation. And I'd also say this, and I say this all the time develop cool light of day sentences. In other words, don't wait till you're in the heat of battle to say what you want to say. I've already used the example of my wife. Having sentences say, hey, when you said that, that hurt me because. Which is far better in the cool light of day than just trying to have something to say in the heat of battle. Does that make sense this morning? I said today's going to be very practical, and I trust that it will not only be practical, but will also be very powerful. Jesus came and said that in order to have a blessed home, you need to be a peacemaker. How do we become peacemakers? Firstly, we speak the truth in love. Secondly, we apologize when we're wrong. I mean, this is just too simple this morning, isn't it? I mean, this is just... You'd almost have to be a theologian to miss it this morning. I mean, it's, it's that... Simple this morning. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's amazing. It says that we confess our sins to God that we may be forgiven of our sins, but we confess our sins to one another that we might have healing relationally. So, when it comes to relationships, it's not enough if you've hurt someone just to apologize to God. You'll be forgiven for what you've done from God but it will not heal the relationship because that person never heard you. If I look at Matt Ward here and and I said something that hurt him deeply and I said, oh God, I'm so sorry that I hurt Matt's feelings today. I should never have said that. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I think he would say two things. He'd say, yes, I will forgive you. The second thing I think he'd say is go tell Matt because he's not part of this conversation. So just behind to hide behind the God conversation is not going to heal your relationships. You've got to speak to the people that you've upset, that you've offended, that you've done the wrong thing by. Because the Bible says when you confess your sins one to another, that's when healing comes. Healing does not come when you confess your sins to God. Healing comes to you when you confess your sins to God, but it doesn't come to the relationship. And so we need to confess our sins one to another. We need to admit to specific actions Without excuses. See, there's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is the right words with no ownership. It may look like this, uh, I'm sorry I got caught. Maybe a few of you have said that before. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry I got caught. Wish I'd never got caught. That's remorse. You're sorry that you got caught, but you're not sorry you did it. You're just sorry that actually someone saw you do it you're sorry that you're in jail now because you you don't want to be here or whatever. That's remorse. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is words without ownership. Repentance is words with ownership. It's, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Matt, I'm so sorry. Just an example. But Matt, I'm so sorry for what I said. I'm sorry that it hurt you. Will you forgive me? Big difference between remorse and repentance. See, I'm sorry is for mistakes. Will you forgive me is for my sin. I want you to get this. Mistakes are when you're sorry. I'm sorry I left the toilet seat up. That's not a sin per se. It's just a mistake. I left the toilet seat up. Sin is, will you forgive me for deceiving you? I'm going to tell this story because it's so powerful and numbers of you have heard it a few times. But it was a number of years ago now and I found myself on what was then my favourite beach and that was Bondi Beach with my young family and we decided to have the day out and we got to the beach. It didn't go well. And within a very short period of time, I just lost my call. Cool. And we'd only been there probably half an hour. And I was sick to death of the kids whinging about the sand and the sun. And ah, there's salt in the water. Who knew that the sea has salt in it? I mean, like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Our, our Bailey, she was just a baby. So she, wasn't, she was just kind of probably crying her head off. And that wasn't helping. And, and But my, my two oldest ones, they were kind of... Uh, Eight and ten at the time. And then then, then they start kicking and and fighting and pinching and poking. And I just like I just, I'm sorry. I, I wish I was a better man that day. I just wasn't. It got the better of me. And I just lost my cool. And I just grabbed all the gear. And we just started heading home. And I was just yelling at the top of my voice, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You said, what, what, what did you mean by that? I don't even know. That's all that could come out. I just, I was so, You know when you're so mad that some of the stupidest things come out of your mouth? Like, oh, I can't believe it. Like, and then people were looking at me and I'm like, what are you looking at? I'm just like. <laughs> I'm grateful for many things that day. One is that Bondi Rescue was not filming. I get in the car and I'm still carrying on like a child and I can't believe it, I can't believe it. We get to the home that we were staying, we unpack the gear and then the dread and the weight of everything I'd done and said hit me. And I've got to be honest with you, I felt better than I did that day. And it's amazing, even in those moments, you still are faced with a choice. How are you going to respond? Are you going to dig in and justify it or are you just going to own your mistakes? And I thought, man, if we want a blessed home, if we want Christ at the center, I've got to try my best now to undo this. And, and while I wish it never had happened, I do know God in His grace uh, is incredibly forgiving if we will own our mistakes and do the right thing. And so i I'll never forget, obviously, first and foremost, apologizing to my wife. But then I had to get my kids in. And, and I never forget, I got down on my knees and I looked them in the eye and I said these two things. I said, Kids, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That moment is powerful because sorry and forgiveness is the gospel. And everything I've tried to do is model the gospel. And I, I wish once you became a parent, you never made mistakes. It's just not true. And so we've got to be modeling the gospel even when we make mistakes. And I looked at our kids and said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I'll never forget their little faces, they went. (laughs) But then I wanted to do something else and, and this I believe is really powerful. It's not enough just to own your mistakes. Whenever you do the wrong thing, you subsequently put something on people. And this is what I've learned about kids All kids are very intuitive. In other words, they know something's not right. But they're not altogether wise, so they don't know what it is. They're intuitive enough to know something's wrong. They're just not smart enough to know what it is that's wrong. But they're also clever enough to make something up if we don't tell them what it is. And I I realize unless I took off them what I'd put on them, they will come up with something. And more than likely, what they come up with will, will be wrong. And so first and foremost, I said, I'm sorry. We're talking about apologizing when we're wrong. So I said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? They nodded. But then I looked them in the eye and I said, Kiss, you need to know something. The church, working at the church, did not make me do that. I think there's a lot of kids that get to 16, 17 and 18 and they've watched mum and dad do church on Sunday and do life the rest of the week and said, you know what, when I've got a chance, when I'm old enough to make my own decision, I'm out of here because this is hypocrisy. I don't think kids mind us making a mistake as long as we own it. What they hate is when we live a certain way at home and then raise our hands as they praise Jesus on Sunday and then live like the devil the rest of the week. I think that's what kids hate. And you know what? I would not be in church today doing what I'm doing, (laughs) whatever that is, (laughs) if it were not for the example that my dad gave me in this regard. And so I said, you need to know kids, the church did not make me do this. This is not the church's fault. Do you understand that? And I said, and I need you to know this is not mummy's fault. I, I said you know what, you have the best mum in the world and I have the best wife in the world. She's incredible. She's amazing. I want you to know that this has got nothing to do with your mum. Now, I'm not suggesting what they were thinking. I just know that they were thinking something. And so I came up with three things of more than likely what it would probably fall to. Either the church, daddy's work, mum and dad's marriage is in trouble, or the third one is they're bad kids. And I said, and also you need to know that you're not bad kids. You didn't make me do this. You're incredible. In actual fact, if I go into heaven and pick three kids, I would pick you three. You're amazing. I don't want no refund. You're, you're incredible. And I said this to them. I said, this happened because of me. I said, I'm that good at being that bad. I don't think they fully understood that, but that's true. Left to my own devices, and that day proved it. I'm that good at being that bad. And I think what I did that day, and I've done every day since, is try and keep my mistakes as pure as possible. We spoke about blessed are the pure at heart. We didn't blame my wife, I didn't blame the job, I didn't blame my kids. I took full responsibility for my actions and I've done that many, many times since. Not just in our family, but in my job, in the workplace, with staff. Because I'm a great believer that when it comes to making peace, you've got to apologize when you're wrong. Can you imagine how blessed our homes could be if we spoke the truth in love, didn't just yell the truth in conflict times, but spoke the truth in love and started owning our mistakes and apologising when we're wrong. See, when Jesus taught this, He wasn't trying to be the party pooper. Jesus was the life of the party. And He said, I want you to live a blessed life. And you know what? Here's the pathway to a blessed life. You tell me, would the families be better if we spoke the truth in love? would our families be better if we apologised when we are wrong? And thirdly, would our families be better if we forgave and let go? See, there comes a time when we have to forgive and let go. Now, before I speak any more about this, I realise just this point alone brings up a lot of pain in people's lives. And some of you might say, that's all right for you, preacher man. Live your sheltered life. You don't know what I've been through. And, and you know what? You'd be right. I don't know what you've been through. I don't. And I'm not here to pinpoint your pain. I'm not here to poke at your pain. But I do believe while this is not easy, it is doable with God's help. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Bear with each other, And forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do you forgive someone that's hurt you? How do you forgive someone that's been so mean to you? How do you forgive someone that's taken away something from you at an early age that you can never get back? How do you actually do that? Well, the Bible tells us we forgive as the Lord forgave us. In other words, the challenge to us is to focus not on the actions of others, but the actions of Christ to us. I believe that this is possible if we'll focus on Him. What makes it impossible is when we're forever collecting data on someone. Yeah. When we're making a list and checking it twice of all the things that they've done and then we look at it and we look at it and we look at it and we say, and another thing and another thing and another thing. Yeah. Once you've got it in for someone, it's really easy to see everything else that they do wrong. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. In actual fact, when you've got it in for someone, there's nothing they can do right. Because yeah. even when they try and do something right, you interpret it wrong. When you've got it in for someone and they say hi, I said, oh yeah, look at you saying hi, but yeah, you know what you've done wrong. And and, and, and you're just left to think, I just said hi and they're just all grumpy. You know, some people might do the wrong thing, but it's not our place to judge their motive. There's a big difference when you set out to hurt someone and do it Intentionally. I know he doesn't like this, that's why I'm going to do it. That, that, that's wrong. But sometimes we do things and we don't even know. We don't even know that you didn't like that. And I, I feel this a lot, particularly preaching. Because this is what I've learned about preaching and I learned a long time ago. No matter what I say, it doesn't please all the people all the time. But I can honestly categorically stand here today and say, there's never a time I've preached here or counseled someone with intention of hurting anyone does that mean I've never hurt people? I've hurt a lot of people but it's never been my intention but if you conclude that that was Tony's intention or that was my husband's intention or that was my wife's intention or that was that person's intention that person doesn't stand a chance there comes a time in our life where we have to forgive we have to let it go We've got to stop collecting data on people. Remember one of the first leadership books I ever read by John Maxwell, Developing the Leader Within You. He told this great story of a man who could not find his saw. And he lived next door to a family where there was a young child there. And he concluded that because he couldn't find his saw, this young lad had taken it. And from that moment on, in the older man's eyes, that younger kid could not do anything right. Everything he did day after day was wrong. The clothes he wore, the haircut that he had, what he was drinking, whatever he did was wrong. You ever been in like a room like that? And There's nothing you can do that's right. And then weeks and weeks later, the old man was cleaning out his shed and guess what? Behind the desk, he found his saw. And from that moment on, the attitude he had toward that young man had changed. Because he realised actually it was all made up in his head. I wonder just how much we've actually made up in our head because we've been focusing on him or her or them or they. When the Bible says we should forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. In other words, our focus has to be on Jesus, not the person. People will always let you down. I love my wife, but she's not perfect. I love my kids, but they're not perfect. I know they love me, but I'm not perfect. And we haven't understand that we're not perfect. But we've surrendered our life to one who is. He's perfect in every way. And because he's perfect, if I focus on him, He will give me strength to do that which I can't do in my own strength. I I spoke a little bit earlier about having cool light of day sentences. This is one I've developed for me a long time ago. And I'm glad I did because in ministry, it's been tested over and over and over again. And I concluded and I wrote it down and I put it into a sentence, this thought that no one has ever offended me more than I offended Jesus. And yet He continues to love me. I wrote that down as a cool light of day sentence, knowing that I would be offended many, many, many times and I would offend others many, many times. But this I know, no one has offended me. No one, no one. Even if you made it your life's ambition from now till the day you die to make my life miserable, no one has offended me more than I offended Jesus and yet he continues to love me and that sentence has held me that sentence has helped me have I felt angry have I felt annoyed have I just felt like ah oh! yeah I've felt all that but I place all those feelings under that truth that no one has offended me more than I offended him and yet he still loves me On my worst day, that is true. On my best day, that is true. On every day in between, that is true. And it's not just true for me, it's true for you. No one has offended you more than you offended Jesus. And yet He still loves you. The Bible says it this way, God so loved the world that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world, not to condemn it, but to give it hope and life life to the full, an abundant life. And it says that Jesus came while we were still sinners, while we were blaspheming, while we were blaming, while we were shaking our fists at the heavens saying, where's God? Jesus came. When we didn't even want Him to come, when we had attitude and issues toward God in heaven. Every blasphemous word, every blasphemous thought we've ever had, He's heard it and seen it. And yet He continues to love us. He doesn't sit there saying, I'm offended. He goes, I just love you. He's madly and passionately in love with us. And if He can continue to love people that do the wrong thing all the time, how much more can we if we focus on Him? Someone said to me, congratulations on doing 25 years in ministry. I said, you know what? It's not the 25 years that I'm most proud about. It's not the 25 years that I'm so grateful to God that we've been able to clock up. That It's not the 25 years. It's, it's this. I said, well, what is it then? I said, it's this. It's the 25 years and yet we still have a smile on our face, a glint in our eye and a spring in our step. It's that we haven't been beaten down by people's expectations. It's that we haven't been beaten down by the things that have happened to us. It's that we haven't been beaten down by the horrible things that have been said about us. You can't stop that. But we can take it to God every day. And so the bit I'm so grateful for, and the the part that I'm most pleased about, is not that I've never been offended. Oh my gosh, anyone who knows me says, yeah, that's not true. It's not that I don't get upset. Oh my gosh, that is not true. I'm not, I, I'm not that guy. I'm not this placid, easygoing. I'm not that guy. It's not that I'm a patient guy. <laughs> if you know me, I'm not patient. I mean, just driving here this morning with all those cones, I was getting Frustrated. I had to just have a moment with God this morning because when I got here if I see another flipping cone I'm thinking no one else felt like that? well if you didn't then you're already ahead of me but in the midst of that being my natural temperament over 25 plus years I've been able to bring my natural temperament and my flawed personality to God and say you know what Lord this is going to kill me this is going to take me out The call of God in my life is going to be thwarted. It's going to be hindered. It's going to be cut short if I'm just left to me. Because this I do know. People can be cruel. In actual fact, you get a group of pastors in the room, there'll be a lot of things we don't agree on. But there's one thing we all agree on. People can be really cruel. That's one thing across the denominations we can agree on. People can be really cruel. And I think every one of us in this room can say, yeah, amen to that. But that is not news to God. God knew the world could be cruel. And while we were still sinners, He came. And if we can focus on that, I think we can get into our 50s, 60s and 70s and beyond and continue to have a smile on our face, a glint in our eye, a spring in our step. And not just settle and not just get jaded but that we can actually be people that choose to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called the sons of God. You know, we're never more like God than we, when we are making peace. We never look more like God than when we're making peace. Let's just say, as the band come up here, but you're already here? so good let me close with this thought we're just going to worship together just for a moment with this new song King of Kings because it's not going to be my words that's ultimately going to help you today it's going to be your focus and we're going to focus to be on Him but as a young man growing up I chose to do my apprenticeship with my dad and invariably on the workplace we'd be out and about working away and people would often say this to me: "I can, I, I can tell whose son you are." And I say, "Who's that?" And I say, "Keith." I said, "Why do you say that?" They say, "Well, you kind of look like him a bit, and you've got so many mas- mannerisms that are Keith. Isn't it amazing? They, they could tell that I was Keith's Rainbow's son because of how I looked and how I acted. Wouldn't it be beautiful? Wouldn't it be beautiful?" If people said to us, uh, are you a Christian? Why do you say that? Because you're just different than other people. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know what? It's not that you're perfect. It's not that you don't have your issues. But you always make an effort to make peace. You always make an effort to address the conflict. Wouldn't that be cool? They could change our world. They could change our homes. That could change our workplace. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.